Hey, welcome to a bonus episode of the Rusty George Podcast. We're excited today to have a continued conversation with Tubia Zaretsky. He was on our Road to Easter uh, series that aired on Wednesday night of Passion Week, which would have been April the... 8th. So if you missed that, make sure you check it out on rlcmonline.org. Uh, today I get to continue my conversation with Tuvi as we discuss how do you uh, connect with and relate to and even minister to and share the gospel with somebody of a different religion, specifically one who is Jewish and didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm anxious to talk to him and hear from his perspective how he has lived through that and how he helps others live through that as well. So here's my conversation with Tuvia. Okay, Tuvia, we are back. And uh, for everybody who's listening to this and has watched the uh, episode from last night, and today we've got this content, you gave us some great backstory to your own life, growing up Jewish, having a conversion experience. Uh, And now you do a lot of ministry for people that are Jewish and might be married to somebody who... um, well, let me, let me say it this way. They've become Messianic Jews, believing in the Messiah, being Jesus, and then they are married to somebody who is Jewish and has not made that jump. Um, I think what I want to ask, and maybe you can just guide us through this, is what? let's start with this group of people. Those that were raised Jewish, and they've been hearing about Jesus, they've been learning about Jesus, and they think that they've come to a conclusion that he is the Messiah, but they just feel like they're betraying their family if they do that. Would you speak to that group for just a moment? Give us some yeah. of your thinking. Yeah. You know, the process of that conversation um, has to be kept in, in the realm of keeping it safe. I had actually had a guy that, that came to faith tell me that. You know, I asked him, what was it that made it easier for you to think about this stuff? And he said, you just kept it safe. I said, how did I do that? He said, you didn't push me. You didn't try and manipulate me. You asked me questions about what I believed and then kind of teased it out. And occasionally you compared it with what your view was or what your experience was. And, and in doing that, it kept that conversation safe so they didn't feel like they were being judged. Biggest issue, I think, you know, um, we, have a, we have our own culture. Um, the Christian church has its, its own culture from a lot of different, I mean, the, the, the culture of a real-life church is going to be really different than, than a, um, one of the mainline churches down in the, the San Fernando Valley, or, you know, or some of the more traditional churches. Everybody's got their own culture. The, the Jewish community has a, a core value that precludes it from really hearing the gospel easily. That core value is survival. We've always been told, if you believe in Jesus, you can't be Jewish anymore. My Hebrew school teacher, Mr. Benjamini, said, you know, Jesus was a prophet and a rabbi, and he was a chum, a wise man, and he was Jewish till he converted to Christianity, then he wasn't Jewish anymore. Real story. So we're up against, you're up against a cultural difference that might not be easily seen in, in a Jewish person who looks like us, looks like everybody else, talks English like the rest of us, but there's this hidden culture. There's a whole world that I lived that the people that I know in, in our, my home church here, uh, West LA, they wouldn't relate to. And that's fine. We all come from different cultures. This is a world of very diverse cultures these days. So I say, take the time to listen to the person, ask questions, draw them out, really hear them, care for them, and then look for those opportunities that God gives to gently 
present truth in a, in a different way. We're, we're dealing with a, a great level of threat in the Jewish community. We can't just walk in and say, you need to believe in Jesus for this reason, this reason, this reason. I'd love to do that. I wish it was that simple. My experience is that it is a relational, uh, building a relationship and being truthful uh, and, and being sensitive to the opportunity when, when they might have a question. Those questions are golden. Let's say I'm Jewish and I'm hesitant. Give me the two or three pieces of evidence that really helped you make up your own mind that you would share with me. I like to start with, with a question, um, what do you want God to do for you? Hmm. And oftentimes they'll say, well, nothing. You know, it's kind of like Hezekiah being really pious. No, he doesn't have to do anything for me. Okay, well, you got that, that answered already. How could I pray for you? What would you, what would, if heart of hearts, where would you want God to, to speak into your life or, or, or be there for you? What really matters to you? And, and that often opens up the beginning of a conversation about who God is. Starting with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and why, why he would have created the Jewish people. Another hard question is why would God allow the horrors of the Holocaust if he's such a good and gracious God? That, that's a question that comes, another one that comes up often. You know, first is, is just, do you believe in God? If you, there is a God, would you be willing to discover him? Would you let him speak into your life? And that's usually the, one of the first stepping, it's often one of the first stepping stones. Would you allow God to introduce himself to you in a way that he wants to be known? And then the second would be to answer some of those apologetic issues of, of what kind of God is he that he would have allowed the Holocaust to happen? There, I, I like to think, to ask people, do you have any idea, is this basically a good world or is this a, a broken, fallen world? I think people deep down understand that the brokenness of, of this universe. And then we can start talking about who, who on earth could fix it. I mean, those are short answers to some really, really profound questions that you're asking. Let's, let's talk about the Holocaust for just a little bit, because even those of us that weren't impacted in any way by that, we, we don't have Jewish heritage, we look at that and we say, where, where was God during all that with his people? Uh, how did he allow such a thing? To which before that, they could have pointed to the, uh, the years of slavery in which the Jews spent uh, to Egypt. So you look at all these atrocities to the Jewish people throughout the centuries. What, what do you say to that? Well, I'll pick up on that same thread that I started with, that God, God is love. And he's a loving God at the heart of it all. The greatest gift, and this is, this is another one of those, those keys when you're asking, if, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who's not a believer, one of the most profound things to think about is in his loving kindness, the greatest gift that he gave to humanity is freedom. He gave us the ability and, and the responsibility to choose to respond to his love which is his heart's desire, or to reject him. And if we reject him, we're dying. That was his warning. Dying, you will really die. So, and, and he's not going to force anybody to love him. That's how loving he is. So when he created this world, and I, listen, I'm not a philosopher, so I haven't got this all figured out. But I have to deal with, I, you know, like everybody else, I have to deal with pain and, and suffering and uh, you know, in ministry, you've got to talk to people who are in some really, really tough places in life, and, and we don't give them glib and simple answers. But in this one, I expect this to be a broken world. I expect this to be a fallen world. And it hurts my heart 
but I know that it's, it's the only way to have a free, loving relationship with a God who desperately loves me so much that he would send his son to fix that. So when you read through the Old Testament now, which book shows you more of Jesus than the others? Isaiah? Mm-hmm. That one's huge, yeah. There's a number of places that might be a little different from your vantage point, just that, that every time someone called on the people to respond to God, there was this moment of reconciliation, reunification. One of the most poignant moments in my Old Testament reading was, was um, the story of Josiah, this young boy king who comes, comes to Israel and he sees the nation blind, the, the southern kingdom blind in, in, in spiritual poverty. And he, he calls the people back to love God. And there's this, there's this wonderful revival. And I understand that my own heart from having been revived from a lack of a relationship to a loving relationship with God. So yeah, but Isaiah's words, I mean, his words are so powerful. Um, Isaiah 9, 9, 6, they just go nuts every time I read it. Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, uh, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Peloyoetz El Gibor Abiyad Sar Shalom. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Drives the rabbis nuts. Pretty powerful. They don't know what to do with that one. Huh? I, got, I received a Bible, uh, an Old Testament Bible, when I, I had my bar mitzvah, and that verse in, in the Jewish Publication Society Bible wasn't translated because it gave so much problem. It was in English, and, and when it came to, and you shall call his name, Peleuetz El Gibor Aviad Sar. That's how I, looked, I memorized it. <laughs> wow. Then I looked it up. I went, whoa, how can that be? Very difficult to reconcile all those. When, when I read the Bible, specifically the New Testament, I read it from an American perspective, you know, Christian upbringing. You read it knowing Jewish culture. What do I miss that you would just instinctively know and see when reading the, the Gospels or even the New Testament in general? I think, um, well, first of all, I think you do a really awesome job of bringing the Bible to people. So I don't, don't count oh, well, it as well. I you. see something more that you do. You, you see stuff that you've taught me a lot of really great things. Um, I think the continuity is so powerful. And I'm, start, I'm saying starting from the very, very beginning. You know, the, so much of the Bible is, is about the history and the heritage of the Jewish people. Okay, the Jewish people were created to accomplish what God had promised all the way back in, in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. That's why I mentioned earlier the, um, the promise in Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. There's a, a child that's supposed to come. Well, don't lose sight of that, gang. I mean, that's, that's all the way through this. The promised plan of God is going to be powerful. And then you come to, to 12.3, and, and now you, you hear, okay, here's the, here's the family, the tribe, the nation that God is going to do this through. And the rest of it is, is okay, these people are the delivery system of something really special, and he's coming. You know, and we hear about it in the New Testament, but it's, he's been coming all along and, and the little glimpses are popping up all the way through there. So I think it's seeing the continuity of what God, God's plan and intention has been from the very beginning. I'd love to talk about why did God create the Jews? I mean, there's a lot of people that even today think, yeah, why are they still around? I mean, Jesus came, he's done with the Jews. We'll go on and, and we've got the, we've, all he cares about now is the church. The Jewish people are still around because they are, they continue to be a reminder to everybody that God is real. It makes all those stories 
come to life when there's this realization that, okay, these people are connected to that. Well, I think one of the struggles that, that uh, a lot of people have is they look at, at Jewish people and they go, well, they're not, you know, 72% of them are secular in Israel and here in the States. So they're not such a holy people anymore. You know what? God uses, he uses whatever he chooses to use. And, and it's always about a remnant. I'm really grateful to be part of a remnant. that's the body of Christ. I'm grateful to be part of a remnant of the people who were privileged in the midst of our nation to see that, that truth. There's a guy I love that's in um, Luke chapter two. His, his name is Simeon. He's, I think of him as, as an Old Testament guy who's in the New Testament. And um, Mary and Joseph, Miriam and, and, uh, and Yosef bring, bring Jesus into the temple to perform the Pidyana Ben. It's um, the redemption of the firstborn. He's been circumcised. He's been, he comes in. And this older guy comes in and holds his arms out. And it says, uh, Luke says, he takes the baby to his chest and says, Now, Lord, let your bondservant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, whom you have prepared in the eyes of all the people and to your glory, Israel. There's a guy that understood the whole thing. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's for me, that's the, the, uh, the key that really helps me uh, appreciate the whole Bible. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, before we started recording, you were telling me about what's going on in Tel Aviv right now. Uh, you have offices over there for your ministry. Uh, in the midst of COVID-19 and the world pandemic, would you share with our listeners and viewers what's going on over there and just the cool things that God is doing? Yeah, we, we launched a, an, a branch in Tel Aviv in 2000. Uh, and at first, the government was really, you know, we registered. I, I entered papers with the government of Israel. We registered as what's called an Amotah nonprofit corporation. Our name is Jews for Jesus, Yehudim Laman Yeshua. They went through the whole thing of, you know, they have to do this. They had to treat us just like everybody else. So they registered us in and the group, the office has grown. It's the work in Tel Aviv is now our largest branch in the entire world. It's, it's just huge. We're opening up um, some satellite branches. I won't go into that here, but um, so 2018, we, we did some very creative kind of things up in the city of Jerusalem. One of them was um, we formed a team to reach out to drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, and homeless people. And we were, we were working on the theme, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we partnered with some municipal agencies in Jerusalem. And they loved the idea that we were saying, we're, we're going to love people. We're going to love on people. And um, we, we did all kinds of service projects. They all knew who, the, who we were. We had lots of opportunities to talk with people. They would say, who are you? How can you be a Yehudi Mishachi, a Messianic Jew? You believe in Yeshua? You know? So anyway, it's, it was... Um, it was kind of a, brown, a groundbreaker. So that was 2018. That team has continued to work in, in Israel, and especially down in Tel Aviv, ministering to elderly folks and especially to foreign workers, of which there are lots of them because uh, they, they needed a, a workforce. So our team has been going out and handing out, uh, pre- providing food for some of the, the foreign workers who are not far from our office in downtown Tel Aviv. Well, the municipal government of, of Tel Aviv came to our office and said, you know what, we're, everything is shut down, the restaurants are closed, the food pantries are closed. We're wondering if you would be willing to come out and feed people and then bring food to some of the elderly people who are shut in who can't get out and get meals brought to them. We said, well, sure, we're glad to do that. And so I'm so proud of my colleagues there. They're, I mean, they're all, they're all millennials and they're just out there 
going, going out on the streets every day now with a letter from the, the uh, municipality of Tel Aviv saying to the police, don't stop these people. It's okay that they're out, not sheltered in place. They're doing something that we need them to do. And this, like, I can hardly believe that, that this has happened. And that's I, amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. We were talking about how in the first century, that's how the church really took off with the plagues and the people being drug out of the city, left for dead. Uh, those with leprosy, you know, put off in colonies and the church would go in, rescue kids and rescue people and tend to those who were sick. And, and they became known as the people that loved others. And that's exactly what continues to happen. So Tuvia, thank you for your ministry and what you do. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they contact you or maybe see more of what you guys are doing? Um, my email address is my name, Tuvia, T-U-V-Y-A dot Zaretsky, Z-A-R-E-T-S-K-Y at JewsForJesus.org. Okay. Thank you so much, brother. Love you, my man. Talk to you thank soon. You. Shalom. Happy Passover. Well, so grateful for Tuvia being on the podcast and also sharing with our entire collection of churches. Uh, if you uh, have not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do because it's the best way to get these things delivered right to you through Apple or SoundCloud or however you're doing it. And so great to have you with us. And we'll see you next time for every Monday, a episode of the podcast comes out. So until then, we continue to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly.